we could kind of scoot in a little bit in these, at least the middle sections here, make it a little bit easier for me to, for me to keep track of the hands and everything, I'd appreciate that. Um, you'll have to excuse me tonight, I'm trying to get used to a new prescription in my glasses. Um, I did bring my old ones just in case. Um, the, the new eye doctor that I went to said that my prescription was way too strong and um, that I probably was doing my eyes more harm than good. And so he cut back my prescription, and I had gotten used to something that was extremely strong. And, and now I'm, I can see fine and see my notes and everything, but uh, my, my eyes are adjusting a little bit, uh, especially when I'm transferring from, you know, looking up close to looking out and, and looking out there. So um, just be patient with me. If I, if I miss your hand, just jump up and down and, you know, wave your hand or something. I'll, I'll try to get to you. Or, or if I stumble over a couple of words, forgive me. Probably won't be anything out of the normal anyway for me. <laughs> to stumble over some words every now and then anyway. Amen. So uh, we are starting a, a series here tonight, and um, we're not sure exactly how long it's going to go, but we're going to try to finish it out through, you know, uh, up leading up to Christmas and stuff. But it's entitled The Emotionally Healthy Christian. And let me start by just kind of making you, or getting your imagination started. If we were to travel back in time, say, to the mid-1800s and travel to the American West, um, and we know time travel is not possible, but just imagine you're reading a Louis L'Amour novel or something. Uh, we would enter into a time like no other that this world has ever seen. The, the migration of Americans westward is something the world probably will never see again, as a matter of fact. But, but let's be a little more specific, and let's imagine that we are on the Oregon Trail in the time period from the mid-1830s until about 1870 or so. During that time period, the Oregon Trail was one of the primary pathways that people used to get to the American West. It is a 2,170-mile uh, pathway from Independence, Missouri, to Oregon City, Oregon, uh, which is the reason it's called the Oregon Trail. Um, today, uh, U.S. Interstates 80 and 84, the same 84 that travels up the street and, and, and through Connecticut, um, actually follows some of the course of the Oregon Trail as you go out west. Um, it is estimated that about 400,000 settlers utilized the Oregon, the Oregon Trail in their migration westward. And uh, now the Oregon Trail has been, it has been glamorized by Hollywood and by uh, Western novels. There was even a, a very popular computer game that was created surrounding the course of the Oregon Trail. I don't know if any of you ever played it on the computer, but I played it when I was a kid, the Oregon Trail. And it was a computer game. It was before they had video game consoles and stuff, and you had to use your keyboard um, to navigate through. Um, and uh, they actually have a card game now that is a, it's a card game version of the computer game uh, that's being sold in stores now entitled the Oregon Trail. But if we were to travel the Oregon Trail in the time period mentioned, um, it would not have seemed as glamorous as we think it to be now. We see the John Wayne movies, and we see the westerns, and we see we see the, the victorious settlers as they overcome the Indians, and, and we see the, the beautiful streams and the beautiful, uh, the, the beautiful uh, scenery as they, as they are driving through that wagon train, and, and they're driving that wagon train from, from Missouri out to Oregon, and they find a beautiful valley, and they settle in the beautiful valley, and they live happily ever after, right? Um, but in reality, the journey was difficult at best, and arduous and dangerous in, in most cases. The trail was literally littered with debris from pioneers who paved the way 
to Oregon for the rest of the country. There were wagon parts scattered everywhere. Furniture was left sitting along the trail because the settlers discovered that their oxen or their horses could not and their mules could not pull all the heavy stuff up the hills and through the rivers and woods and the desert and the muck that they were going through. But that's not all that was scattered along the way of the Oregon Trail because scattered along that trail are also the graves and even the bones of those who started the journey but did not make it. Many died in Indian skirmishes or outlaw battles. Many died of thirst. Many died simply because their health was not strong enough to make it. As a matter of fact, many who thought they were healthy found that they were not as strong as they believed. And sadly, there are probably more that died along the way than those who actually made it over the Oregon Trail. And that brings us to what I want to use as our text for this series. 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2. Really in 3 John there's only one chapter so you could just say 3 John verse 2. But John said this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Everyone say health. And be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now there's some blanks there. You can fill out the blanks and we'll have some discussions and things like that. But if you don't have a pen, I can, uh, Brother Redway may have to run into the, the office and grab, <laughs> grab some pens or uh, whatever. But um, if, you, if you need one, we can, we can get you one if we need to. Brother Redway will kind of look and see. But the, this Christian life has often be, been called a journey or a walk, if you will. Um, so the blank there is journey. Christian life has often been called a journey. And any time we are on a journey, we must make sure that we are, the next blank there, is we are healthy enough to handle and complete the journey. Before you go on a trip, you're going to try to make sure you got enough money to get to where you're going. You're going to try to make sure that, that you can handle the trip. If you're going to go take off on a 10-mile hike, you probably ought to make sure that, that you can handle the hills that are on that 10-mile hike. You better probably better make sure you have enough water. You probably better make sure that, you can, that you're physically fit enough to make it would I would I get any arguments on that that that'd be a wise thing to do right now that's what this series is all about John told us that he wished above all things that we would both prosper and be in good health now this health and prosperity that John is writing about um, falls into three categories physical spiritual and emotional and thus the title right of our lesson the emotionally healthy Christian. So your blank there is emotional. Now, achieving this healthy state in all facets of our lives is a journey, as we stated. I, I wish that there were some sort of secret formula or a special prayer that would give us an instant fix, you know, like a, a secret code word or a magic word, abracadabra, be healthy in your emotions and be healthy. In your, I, w I wish that that could happen. I mean, we have the most powerful prayer that we could ever pray when we pray in the name of Jesus. But just because we pray in the name of Jesus does not mean we always get what we pray for. Some of it is because we don't have enough faith and some of it is because we're asking for the wrong things. Right, even the name of Jesus is not just some sort of magical formula, magical potion that we can stir up and, and get whatever we want, right? Um, that's just not the way it works. Now, it does, uh, being emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, and even physically healthy uh, requires prayer. 
Um, but it also requires other things. Just like your physical health requires a balance of exercise and good nutrition, good diet, right? Um, if, if you're going to be healthy physically, um, it also, re- you know, you've got you to combine and find a healthy balance. Well, when we're talking about spiritual health and even emotional health, it requires other things. Sometimes it requires counseling. Sometimes it requires discipleship. Um, and especially it requires continued obedience. And I know I'm a little bit off the notes, and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. Uh, but I heard someone say it like this one time. We need to have long obedience in the same direction. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. It's a journey. And if I'm going to be successful in this journey and be healthy enough to, to take this journey that Christ wants to take me on, then I've got to show some long obedience in the same direction. I've got to show a pattern. I've, I've, got, to, I've got to have a track record of obedience to the gospel. I've got to establish a reputation that I'm that I'm going to do the best I can to to obey the gospel and obey the word of God. Amen. There is no zap that suddenly makes an individual healthy and whole. Yes, God is able to heal a broken heart, but most of the time he doesn't just instantaneously do it. Right. It's a journey. It's a process. Just as some of the deeper wounds that we have in our flesh is a process of healing. Amen. Wholeness is something that we grow into as we walk with Jesus through the years of our lives. And knowing this actually takes a great deal of pressure off of us. We don't have to have the pressure to find the instant fix or or have one defining moment. What that does, knowing this, knowing that this is a journey, knowing that this is a process, it releases us to walk with God and allow him to personalize our healing journey. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lay a groundwork here for this whole lesson, this whole series. Right? It's a journey. Amen? So I think I'm back in your notes now. The word that was translated prosper in our text is from the Greek word euodao, uh, which l- has a literal meaning of to grant a prosperous and expeditious journey. Now, this is kind of a best case scenario when I was studying this out. I was already writing the notes about this being a journey and thinking about that, and this verse came to mind. I had no idea that that word prosperous had anything to do with a journey. But when I looked it up, this was just God showing me that his word backs up what I was already feeling in the spirit. Um, It means to grant a prosperous and an expeditious journey. God wants us to be successful in our Christian journey. But in order for this to happen, he, he desires that we would be in good health. And so while this certainly applies in the physical realm when he says, I want you to be in good health, um, I I think it especially speaks to our spiritual and our emotional health as Christians. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard the term burnout? Now, I must admit that I have been very facetious, to put it nicely, about burnout when it comes to Christians at times. I have not been very tolerant and I in my own mind and my own spirit. I don't think I've been mean to anybody about it. I have been very uh, close-minded when it comes to the idea of burnout when it comes to Christians. Because I've always adapted to philosophy in my mind that the Holy Ghost is our rest and a Christian shouldn't have to worry about burnout if they're doing what they're supposed to do. I'm just trying to be bluntly honest. But I have learned especially over the last few years as i've had health issues and 
different things that the Lord has kind of forced me to slow down at times. I have learned that burnout is a very real thing in life, and, and it seems to hit church leaders and Christians the hardest of all. And so I apologize if I came off as being a little insensitive to anyone who might have been experiencing burnout. I don't think I have because I think I've tried to keep that to myself. I know I have vented to my wife a little bit about it, but I, and maybe to pastor a little bit. I don't think I've come off that way, but if I have, let me just be up front and say I'm sorry. Um, if I was ever insensitive to anything you were trying to tell me about burnout, um, I was wrong because it hits all of us. Um, and so let's ask, let's, let's open the discussion here. Why do you think that many Christian leaders experience burnout? Anybody got any, Brother Al? Did everyone hear what Brother Al said? He, he, maybe there's a little bit of truth in, in my philosophy that, you know, if you're doing the right things that you won't have to experience burnout. And I think you're right. There is if, if we know the proper things. But I don't think we've been taught the proper things. And so there are things maybe we didn't know about the rest and about things that we're supposed to do. And that's what Brother Al is saying. We're, we're burning the candle at both ends without understanding what the rest that God wants us to have really entails. That, that sums up what you were saying, right, basically. I, I agree with you on that. Sister Ellen. I agree. I, a lot of it is that we, we, we all get this mentality sometimes is if it's got to get done right, then I've got to be the one to do it. And so we and, and we as we have just gone through another series where we talked about disciple making, I think disciple making, which is the culture, by the way, that we really want to create in this church, because we believe that that's the culture that Jesus wanted his church to have. Um, disciple making does take care of a lot of that. What are some other reasons, Sister Lisa? Absolutely, 100%. If, if you didn't hear that, Sister Lisette said that when you're a church leader, it, it, you're not just turning it off and turning it back on. It, it's kind of like a 24-7 job. Your, your phone's ready. You're, you're constantly thinking about stuff. When you, and you, when you have a burden for people, it, it, it really is. And especially when you're the pastor. <laughs> I mean, your phone is pretty much there. I mean, at the very least, you have to make sure you're checking your voicemail regularly. At the very least, right? It's, you can't turn it on and turn it off. It's 24-7. It's, it's Did I see a hand over here? I know Sister Tryon. I want you to hear that. We're going to really come back to that statement. We cut into our morning prayer time in order to do something for God. Remember that. We have good intentions, and, and you're absolutely right. There's good intentions, and we don't mean to do anything wrong, and, and maybe we're not doing anything necessarily wrong, but we might be doing something unhealthy. We're cutting out our morning devotion, our, our personal time with the Lord, so that we can do something for the Lord. 
again, we're going to come back to it. But in reality, we need that personal time with the Lord in order to do what he wants us to do. And I know, Sister Ellen, you had a hand up, but a pastor might be wanting to say something related to that. So let me let him say it. Yes. Absolutely. Balance is a very key word, and we'll talk about that a lot. Sister Ellen, you had a comment. That was it. Okay. So, yeah, balance. Any other thoughts real quick on that? Did, did I see Sister Marilyn? Didn't? Okay. All right. Um, did I see another? Okay. So I'm seeing movement in my eyes again. I'm trying to. <laughs> All right. So the reality is that too many Christians, and, and especially church leaders, and I'm not, I'm not here to beat anybody up, and, and if, if the shoe fits tonight, we just have to wear it, and and I'm, I'm learning this the hard way in many areas of my life, that, that I've got to be emotionally healthy. And, and even when I thought I was emotionally healthy, there were times when I really wasn't. And, and I'm still not all the way there yet because, again, this is a journey, right? And, and we've got to, we're trying to get to that place of wholeness. So um, the reality is that too many Christians, and especially church leaders, do not take the time to care for our own emotional health. Because the culture that many in the church have propagated is that we are not spiritual if we take the time to work on our own individual emotional health. Again, as Sister Tryon said, we're good intentioned, but we're trying to put the kingdom first. Um, and we, but we fail to take care of ourselves. And we think that if we try to take care of ourselves, we're being selfish and we're not being spiritual. Do, does, does that make sense? That, that's the culture. That's the idea. And while, yes, we're supposed to put the kingdom first, sometimes putting the kingdom first is taking care of yourself so that you can be of good use in the kingdom. Amen. Brother Tryon. see the culture that we've propagated, right? Yes. Absolutely. Um, it comes from, especially in America, this, we went, we talked about the Oregon Trail. That was a special breed of people that opened up the American West, right? And these pioneers that, that got us to where we're at right now, that was a special breed of people. And maybe we needed that at that time to push the gospel to where it is right now and push through to where we are right now. But we, we need to have balance, and it's not emotionally healthy, all right? So that none of that stuff could be farther from the truth. In fact, if we truly want a church full of healthy Christians, and if I were to take a poll of all the pastors in the world, I don't think there'd be a single one that admit they don't want that in reality. Then the church leaders must first be spiritually and emotionally healthy. If we're going to have a church full, then the leaders have to be. Because the overall, and we're back in your notes here, the overall health of any church 
depends primarily upon the emotional and spiritual health of its leadership. Did you hear that? The blank is leadership. The overall and the health of any church depends primarily upon the emotional and spiritual health of its leadership. The key to successful church leadership is not another leadership seminar. So while leadership training is important, and we have leadership boot camp this weekend, this weekend for that reason, and things like that are important, what we need more than information about how to lead, however, is leaders who are actually healthy. So healthy is your blank there. What we need more than information about how to lead is leaders who are actually healthy. The key to successful spiritual leadership has much more to do with the, the leader's internal life. This is going back to Sister Tryon's comment has more to do with the leader's internal life than it does with his expertise. Spiritual and emotional health are much more important to a Christian than her gifts or her experience. So, we're going to read this story following, and I'm going to ask some of you to read if you don't mind, um, if I can get a couple of volunteers. But, yeah, we might, you know what, we might want a microphone because this is a pretty, th thank you, Brother Sam. I want to point out, the story that you're going to read is a true story. Names have been changed to protect the identity of the guilty. I mean the innocent. Um. Afterwards, we're going to discuss this story, but I, want, I, I do want to make this note. This story is not from myself. It's not from Pastor Tryon. It's not from anyone in our church or district or anyone you would know personally, okay? However, the contents of this story are real and graphic. Not graphic in a bad sense, but it's, it's pretty graphic emotionally. Um, please understand that the people involved in this story were in the midst of a crisis. And their actions and their words should be viewed as such. And I'm, I'm getting very serious about this because I want you to understand. We're, we're talking about people who were in crisis when we read this story. These characters were not at the time of this story emotionally healthy. And the, the, the book that we're taking most of our material with from in this in this teaching that we're that, that we're going to help guide us in this. And I'm not anywhere near word for word of the first chapter of this book when I teach this lesson, because I just took the bits and pieces that I thought were important to us and and letting the Lord lead me. But understand that. Um, the people who wrote this book have gone through this story in order to what sparked this idea of being emotionally healthy to help them and and uh, this has helped church leaders across the nation and and we're going to teach on this so who's my first volunteer to read do i have one brother al so we have the microphone there brother sam we give it to brother al so my wife couldn't take it anymore all right brother al why don't you read and if you get tired of reading uh, before we get done just hand it over to somebody else we'll figure it out okay sat still, too stunned to respond. I can't take any more of this stress. It's a constant crisis, he continued. Jerry has more... Had been more, sorry, had, had been. Yeah. Sorry. Jerry had been more than patient. I had brought home constant pressure and tension from the church year after year. Now the woman I had promised to love just as Christ loved the church was exhausted. She had experienced eight unrelenting years of stress. I'm not doing it anymore, she concluded. This church is no longer right for me. It is dead. When a church member says, I'm leaving the church, most pastors don't feel very good. But when your wife of nine years said it, your world was turned upside down. We were in the bedroom. I remember the day well. 
you, I love you, but I'm leaving the church. She summarized very calmly. I no longer respect your leadership. This is a wife talking to a husband, a pastor's wife talking to a pastor, all right? Just understand that. I was visibly shaken and didn't know what to say or do. I felt shame, alone, and angry. I tried raising my voice to intimidate her. That's out of the question, I tell her. All right, so I've made a few mistakes. And she calmly continued, it's not that simple. You don't have the guts to lead, to confront the people who need to be confronted. You don't lead. You're too afraid that people will leave the church. You're too afraid of what they'll think about you. I was outraged. I'm getting to it, I yelled defensively. I'm working on it. For the last few years, I had really been trying, but somehow it still wasn't up to me. Good for you, but I can't wait anymore, she insisted. You're the wrong cause of suffering. When she uttered the words, it changed the power balance of our marriage forever. She, I quit. It is said that the most powerful person in the world is one who has nothing to lose. Sherry no longer had anything to lose. She was dying on the inside, and I had to listen to and respond to her calls for help. She softly continued, I love you, Pat, but the truth is I would be happier separated than married. At least then you would have to take your kids on the weekends. Then maybe you'd even listen. How can you say such a thing, I complained. Don't even think about it. She was calm and resolute in her decision. I was enraged. A good Christian wife, married to a Christian, and a pastor are married. She was not clueless. I understood at that moment why a husband could fly into a rage and kill the wife he loves. Remember, hurting people, not emotionally healthy, right? All right, this is someone speaking out of his feelings when he's in the middle of a crisis, okay? You understand that? She had asserted herself. She was forcing me to listen. I wanted to die. This was going to require me to change. Can you read that last line one more time, Brother Al? I wanted to die. This was going to require me to change. So let's discuss this. How do you think, and that's a pretty severe story. It's an extreme story, but it actually happened. So how do you think that this godly couple got to this point? They don't sound very godly in that story, do they? Brother Sam, lack of communication. It sounds like Jerry was trying to communicate, but Pete wasn't listening, right? So if, if it's true communication, then the message is actually getting across, right? So very good. Lack of communication, that's one of them. What else? Anybody? Stress? Undealt with stress? Right. What else? Anybody? Cecil. Absolutely. No family time. Only only about the church. Um, the wife's crying out for help, but he's not listening, um, which probably means the kids weren't weren't getting any time with dad either. Okay. Anything else? Yes, Brother Andres. Taking too long to resolve issues. It had taken two years and he still hadn't resolved certain issues that needed to be resolved. Things that had been pointed out to him. Things that he knew he needed to resolve that he just couldn't muster up the courage to resolve. I see your hand, sister. I see somebody else's hand over here. No, okay, go ahead, sister. 
Absolutely. Sometimes they say, you know, you you hurt the people that are most that are closest to you. <laughs> you take advantage of them because you think you can. You think it's all right. You, you take them for granted. Yeah. Pastor. Yeah, exactly. I've been there as a manager on on jobs, and even even as a as a sergeant in the army, where uh, you have a little bit of fear of confrontation, and you you don't do it. Um, now, when you're a sergeant in the army, you only do it once before you you figure it out. You got to deal with it pretty quickly. But you know, you've got to learn to deal with those issues, and that was one of one of the things he wasn't doing. And guess what? It probably had to do with him not dealing with the issues he needed to deal with in his own family because he couldn't even deal with people that weren't his family. So how's he going to address issues, right, with his wife and his family? See all this stuff happening, right? So let's ask another question. Do you think this is a real danger for Christians, especially leaders? Most of us are not in the head yet. So why or why not? Sister Ellen? Anybody else? Why? Why is this a danger for Christian leaders? Yes, Sister Kimberly. Desire to please and keep the majority of a congregation. You don't want to lose a sheep, so you'll you'll do whatever you can to keep them and try to keep the peace and pacify, instead of dealing with the problems that need to be dealt with. Yeah. What else? Anybody? I agree. It, it's a real danger. Brother Andres. So you're putting on a pedestal and everyone's trying to knock you down off that pedestal. By the way, you, you really shouldn't put your pastor on a pedestal. Yes, you give honor to whom honor is due and you want to honor and you want to respect and you want to follow the leadership and you want to submit and you want to do all those things you're supposed to do, but you don't want to put them up on a pedestal and make them easier to knock off and make them an easier target. The pastor is a human just like we are, and, and he has emotions and he has feelings and he has struggles just like we do, and his wife, and, and we need to make sure that, that uh, we're, we're, we're respectful and we honor, but we don't put them up so high that we make them God and make them an easy target. And if we are going to lift them up, we're going to make sure there's some people going up with them to help hold them up and balance them and keep them like Aaron and her were keeping Moses' arms lifted up, right? Y you need that. All right. So may maybe I can play devil's advocate here for a moment, though. So what happened to the demands of Scripture that we die to ourselves? Doesn't the Bible tell us to crucify our flesh? Well, if so, why do we need to be healthy? We're, we're not supposed to worry about our emotional health when it's not about us. It's all about Jesus anyway. I mean, aren't Christian leaders supposed to forsake all and follow Jesus in the work of the ministry? Aren't we supposed to deny ourselves and take up our cross? 
Those are all scriptures, right? Brother, Brother Sam, did you have a, a comment? That's a very profound statement. Did, did you hear what Brother Sam just said? Sometimes we read too much into the scripture or we don't read enough. <laughs> and so we don't really understand what it really means, what it's really saying. We take things out of context all the time and don't don't really dig deep and we don't study to show ourselves approved. Sister Ellen. So, obviously, when I was saying all those things, I was being a little bit facetious, right? But Scripture, and I'm writing your notes right now, Scripture never tells us to follow the ministry or serve the church at the expense of everything and everyone else, especially our spouses and children. But sadly, many make this mistake. And again, I'm not beating anyone up here. I'm as guilty as the next person. We think we're doing what we're supposed to do. We've got good intentions, as Sister Tryon said. Yes, we're supposed to put the kingdom of God first, but but we should never forget that our families are a part of the kingdom as well. Pastor Tryon. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Did you hear that? <laughs> we need to spend more time on the boat, Pastor. I no <laughs> So in the story that we read, Pete was making that mistake, and he had been making this mistake for a really long time. And slowly, the, the daily grind of working for the kingdom, all the while neglecting his marriage and family, eroded at his relationships. And so we find Pete and Jerry at this point of crisis. You need to get this next point. If you don't get anything else out of this lesson, you need to get this next point here. And there's blanks there because I wanted you to be engaged enough to, to write in these blanks. They're very small, but it is not so much about what we do. I told you to remember Sister Tryon's statement. It is not so much about what we do as it is about who we are. So your blanks there, what we do as it is about who we are. So do and who are your blanks. Um, I'm not sure where it's at in your lesson. Okay, there you go. Page four. It is not so much about what we do as it is about who we are. And this is what being emotionally healthy is all about. It's about who we actually are. Sister Tryon said, we will rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. We will cut our time off from our morning devotion so we can go do something for the Lord. When Jesus is saying, I need you to spend time with me so you can be better able to do what I want you to do. If we rush off and we cut down our time with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying things don't happen, right? There are emergencies, there are crises that happen. But if I'm constantly uh, taken away from my personal devotion time, then I will not be fully equipped to do what God wants me to do. 
We need to be more focused on being who we're supposed to be than doing what we're supposed to do. And if we'll focus on the being, then the doing will take care of itself. In most cases. Make sense? Sister Ellen. Hmm. Yes, Mary and Martha scenario. Yes. Yes, Mary was taking the time to be with Jesus and Martha was doing for Jesus. And Jesus said that Mary had chosen the needful things, the needful thing. Martha was doing important stuff, but Mary chose the needful thing. Should have included that in the lesson. That's a good one. Very, very good point, Sister Ellen. That's why I like this format. So society has created a culture in which we are far too often identified by what we do rather than who we are. When, especially men. Can I just talk to the men for a moment? You are not defined by your job. But society wants to tell you that if you're not a CEO somewhere, you're not successful. If you don't have a thousand people following you and working for you, then you're just not successful. If you don't own your own company and your own business and making thousands of dollars a week, then, then you're just not successful. You're not good enough. That's what society wants to tell us, especially men. But listen, God created you for a reason. He created you to be you in union with him. For a unique purpose. And I wanna, I'm going to slow down and I want to say that again because I want us to get that. He created you to be you. In union with him. That's why that personal devotion time is important. Because if I don't have that personal devotion time, I'm not in union with him. And it's only when I know who I'm supposed to be and I'm connected and in union with him that I can fulfill the unique purpose that he has for me. Because until I know who I am, and the only way I'm going to know who I am is, is being connected to the one who created me. Until I know who I am, then what I do, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Does that, does that make sense? And that's, again, that's what this lesson is all about. Emotionally healthy and learning who we are so that we can go out and really do what we're supposed to do. But we can't do until we know how to be. Amen? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before I, thou camest forth out of the womb. Look at this. I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So, I don't know why it says gold there. I apologize. My, my proofreader, who is myself, didn't do his job, but... God told Jeremiah to tell the people that he had good plans for them. He had earlier told Jeremiah that before he was formed in the womb, God had ordained him specifically for the purpose of being, not doing, of being a prophet unto the nations. In God's mind, a prophet to the nations was not what Jeremiah did, but rather who Jeremiah was. He was a prophet, not just he did the work of a prophet. That's who Jeremiah was supposed to be. 
It's the same with each of us. God has ordained you to be someone, not just to do something. Amen. This is good stuff if we could get this. God has ordained you to be someone, not just to do something. Is there a work for you to do? Of course. But that work you are called to do should flow from within. Your doing should flow out of who you are. And that who you are should be in union for God because you can't figure out who you are. That's why you got a lot of people try out there having all kinds of identity crises and, and, and all kinds of identity crises, especially in the world and culture we're in today, because they won't go back to the creator to figure out who they are. They want to try to let everybody else tell them who they are. Or they wanna, they're, they're more comfortable trying to figure it out on their own. God forbid a teacher ever try to tell, teach my kid what sexuality they ought to choose. It's not a choice. You got to go back to the creator, the one that created us. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. This is David talking and he and he said and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of life everlasting so david goes through this whole psalm psalm 139 and he's writing about how god made him fearfully and wonderfully that god knew everything about him as he was making him in essence david was saying that god had everything laid out for david and that he had someone specific for david to be in his life if you read all through psalm 139 that's what that's talking about and as I think about that, it, it strikes me that it's very important for us to stay connected. Your blank there is connected. It's very important for us to stay connected with the one who created us to be someone if we are ever going to be that, be that someone. That's a very simple but yet very profound statement. We must stay connected with the one who created us to be someone if we're ever going to be that someone. None of this is groundbreaking, right? But it reminds us of some very basic things. So in the story excerpt that we read, Pete had been more focused on what he was doing for God than on being the person God wanted him to be. And I had Brother Al, when he was reading that story, uh, read that last line again because Pete made a very profound statement at the end of that excerpt. I wanted to die... This was going to require me to change. And if you have a highlighter or if you have a pen, you might want to underline this next statement. Unfortunately, many people would rather die than change. We don't like change. Change is hard. But if we want to be healthy... Sometimes we need to take a good look at our lifestyle, a good hard look at our lifestyle. And if we find something that is contributing to a lack of health, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional, we must summon the courage to make the necessary changes. Unless we want to continue on a journey in an unhealthy plan. But if we truly want to be healthy, we need to make some changes. For instance, if you go to your doctor and he tells you that your blood pressure and cholesterol are very high and you're at high risk for a heart attack, he's most likely going to suggest some lifestyle changes. He might recommend a specific diet. 
that tells you to cut back on the salt and grease and the fried foods. And the, he might tell you to eat more veggies, which was hard for me. I, I'm doing a lot better now, but I used to hate veggies. Couldn't get me to eat veggies for nothing. Probably because when I was growing up, the only veggies my mom, mom ever cooked were the ones straight out of the can, and she never did anything to them, just dump them in a pan, heat them up, and say, here, eat it. And I was like, ah, I don't want vegetables. <laughs> I'm learning that vegetables aren't that bad. <laughs> Thank God. So as we go through this series, you are going to be asked. Again, I'm just laying the groundwork in this lesson. You're going to be asked to take a good, hard look at your lifestyle. You will be challenged to examine yourself and your relationship with God. And as we do so, we are going to have some choices to make. There will develop in your mind the knowledge of some changes that you need to make in order to truly prosper and be in good health as the Lord desires. Your choice is going to be whether or not you wish to make those changes. All right. It's going to take some courage to embrace this series of lessons. But if we're going to be emotionally healthy the way the Lord wants us to be and really be able to change our world the way the Lord wants us to do, we're going to have to have some courage to handle these things. Amen? So let's look a little further into Pete and Jerry's story. So I need another reader unless Brother Al wants to continue reading. But let me summarize a little bit before before Al starts reading. To summarize, Jerry ended up sticking around for a little while, and, and they tried to work things out. But Pete tries to explain how they got there in the first place. Now, eight years before our story, Pete had a vision from God of planning a church among the working class of Queens, New York City, a church that would develop leaders to plant other churches in New York City and around the world. And Jerry followed him into that vision. But now, eight years and four children later, Jerry was battle-weary. She wanted a life and a marriage. She'd been married for nine years, but she wanted a life and a marriage. By this time, Pete was actually in agreement with her, but Pete had a problem. His sense of responsibility to build the church and to do so for other people was the problem. A sense of responsibility is not a bad thing, but if it's misplaced. I heard someone say one time that a weakness is nothing but a strength taken to the extreme. And that's very true. I found it to be very true in many cases. Sometimes what we consider a strength, it can become a weakness if we only rely on that and never work on the areas that we need to become strong in. Just like, if, just like my knees, when I didn't have any cartilage in one of my knees, and I still tried to tough it out as a sergeant and keep running and 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 uh, compensating by using my other leg more and putting more of the weight on my other leg and, and, and whatever. Guess what happened? I tore up the cartilage in my other knee as well. It's not healthy. I, I, I needed to be whole. I, I should have I taken the steps I needed to take to fix that knee so that I didn't end up having problems with the other knee, but I didn't do that. And so I ended up in a situation where now there's no cartilage in either one of my knees or very little. So Pete had very little energy left over to parent or to enjoy his marriage with Jerry. And even when Pete was physically present, such as at soccer games for one of their daughters, his mind was usually focused on something related to church. Okay? This is all the groundwork. 
So let's read how Pete recounts this, Brother Al. I remember wondering, am I supposed to be living so miserably and so pressured in order that other people can experience joy in God? It sure felt that way. Weeks had turned into months, months into years. The years had become almost a decade, and the crisis was now in full bloom. The sober reality was that I had made little time during those years for the joys of parenting and marriage. I was too preoccupied with the incessant demands of pastoring a church. How well I know that I will never get those years back. Jerry has always loved the outdoors and nature. She values her large extended family. She loves the field of recreation, creating opportunities for people to have fun. There is rarely time for these luxuries. Okay, there we go. So Jerry was someone. God created her with specific things that she loved to do, but she wasn't allowed to be who she was supposed to be because of what she was expected to do. You guys understand where she's at there? So now Jesus does call us to die to ourselves. Mark eight thirty four. when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The problem with Pete and Jerry is that they had died to the wrong things. Mistakenly, they thought like many Christians think dying to myself means I no longer take care of myself. They mistakenly thought that. But dying to ourselves for the sake of the kingdom does not mean we die to self-care. Did you hear that? We still take care of ourselves. Denying ourselves does not mean that we die to our feelings, such as grief, anger, sadness, or doubt. Now, I'm not saying all this to give you an excuse to go out there and have a pity party. It's all about balance. Pastor already said that. That's been established, right? But neither does that mean you have to keep everything cooped up and not deal with the emotions and the feelings that you have. Amen? Dying to ourselves does not necessarily mean that we die to our own struggles or our own dreams, our own desires, our own passions, if they're healthy for us. Can, can, can we just be real for a minute? We're, we are human, and God created us this way. We are emotional people, and that is how God created us. And we don't need to die to that. We just need to learn how to manage the emotions and not let them control us and rule us. Amen. Brother Al, you have to read a little bit more there. More of Pete and Jerry, workaholics for God. We were very busy for God. Our lives were filled with serving, doing, and trying to love other people. It felt at times that we weren't supposed to do some of the things that would give me energy and joy so that others could have those feelings. In actuality, we had died to something God never intended to be cared. I remember sitting at the dinner table with my brother-in-law as he talked about his joy in being a referee and coach for a girls' basketball teams. It must be nice, I murmured to myself. Too bad I can't have that kind of freedom. You, you, you hear that? You, you ever said something similar to, I mean, I'm not asking for hands, or but, but you ever kind of felt that way when someone's talking about the things they enjoy and, and how they have time to do those things, and you're like, man, it must be nice, man. Okay, just, all right, keep going. I had a profound experience of God's grace in Jesus Christ when I had become a Christian at the age of 19. His love filled me with passion to serve him. Over time, however, this passion became a burden. The incessant demands of the church planting in New York City, in addition to my neglect of the emotional dimensions of spirituality, slowly turned my joy into duty. 
My life became out of balance. There's that word balance again. And I slowly bought into the lie that the more I suffered for Christ, the more he would love me. Hmm. I began to feel guilty about taking too much time off and enjoying places like the beach. By the way, how much you do for God has nothing to do with how much he loves you. Did, did, did you hear that? How much you do for God has nothing to do with how much he loves you. You can't do enough to buy the love of God and the grace of God. It's not based on that. He loves you. He loves you because he created you. He died for you because he loved you. It has nothing to do with what you do. Are there things we need to do? Yes. Are there things we need to obey? Yes. But no matter how much you do, you can't buy the love of God. You need to understand that. Amen? Okay, good. I'll continue. My spiritual foundation was being revealed for what it was, wood, hay, and stubble. Verse 25, I had become content with that. I had limped along for so many years that the limp now seemed normal. Ray's courageous step on that cold January evening saved me. God intervened dramatically through Gary's words, I quit. It was probably the most loving, courageous act of service he had ever done for me. It forced me to seek professional help to resolve my vocational crisis. Unconsciously, I hope. Listen, uh, listen to this for a second. All right, just us guys, we can really relate to this. But go, go ahead, brother Al. Unconsciously, I hope the counseling would straighten Gary out so I could get on with my life more maturely. Isn't that just like a guy, right? <laughs> Little did I know what was ahead. God forced me to take a long, painful look at the truth: the truth about myself, our marriage, our lives, the church. Jesus said, "You will know the truth." And the truth will set you free. John 8.32 It was demoralizing to admit, finally, that the intensity of my engagement with spiritual disciplines had not worked spiritual maturity into my life. Why? I ignored the emotional components of discipleship entirely. I want to draw your attention to that statement. It was demoralizing to admit, finally, that the intensity of my engagement in spiritual disciplines, the intensity of my engagement in prayer, the intensity of my engagement in Bible reading, the intensity of my engagement in church attendance, the intensity of my engagement in fasting, the intention, intensity of my engagement in good stewardship had not worked spiritual maturity into my life. Are those things necessary to be able to grow? Yes. But that's not all we need. There's other things we need as well. Okay, and I'm not saying prayer doesn't work because it does work. And I'm not saying don't pray. You need to pray. I'm not saying don't come to church. You need to come to church. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. You need to do all those things. But there's more. Amen. Is there anyone here who can see a little bit of Pete or maybe even Jerry in yourself? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it. We need to have spiritual disciplines, but if we're not careful, those disciplines will not necessarily bring us to maturity. How is it possible that a person who prays, reads the Bible, fasts, attends church, and even serves regularly never reaches spiritual maturity? Anybody got any thoughts on that? How is that possible? Not taking time to mature yourself spiritually. Absolutely. No, but but I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible and I'm fasting and I'm coming to church. I'm even doing all this stuff for the Lord. How, why, what do you mean I'm not investing? I, can I? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I mean, Pastor, I think I saw your hand. 
Absolutely. Brother Sam, I think I saw your hand. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we tip the scales in the wrong direction. Yeah. Sister Ellen. very, I mean, and that's a real thing. I remember my mom going through that sometimes. And I could pray for everybody else, but, you know, God doesn't care about my, you know, my mom used to tell the story, God doesn't care about my ingrown toenail. Whenever, when someone else has cancer and someone else is having kidney failure and God, does, and, and God spoke to her one night and said, I care just as much about your ingrown toenail and your pain as, as I care about theirs. Why don't, why don't you, you know, you can, you can ask me, you have not because you ask not, right? So, well, I think about this, especially preachers, those maybe aspiring to be to be in ministry, if the only time that you pray is when you're trying to get a message, you're not doing it right. Would you agree, Brother Milton? Now, I will say this, most of my messages come from when I'm praying and reading my Bible. But I don't pray and read my Bible to get messages. I do I say, hey, okay, Lord, what is it that you want me to preach or teach what what is it that you want to say to your people i say those things but most of the time i've already got messages that are already lined up at least ideas that i've already you know lined up and the lord will say okay now's the time for that one that i gave you you know three months ago while you were praying in the morning or while you were praying at night or while you were while you were walking through the warehouse praying at work and or while you were driving down the road or while you were out hiking and and or even fishing and something happened and an idea popped in your head and 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 you know now's the time for you to it's it's it all comes out of out of me staying in close relationship and staying in union with him. Whenever you pray, whenever you read your Bible, it should not be just to figure out how you can minister. You need to say, OK, Lord, this is my time to connect with you. Lord, who do you want me to be? What do you see in me? Lord, speak to my heart. Tell me what you see in me. Tell me who I am. I, I need to find out who I am from him, not from the world and not from everybody else. And, and yeah, we need to rub shoulders and we need to fellowship and all that, but I need to be connected with him. Brother Andre. There you go.
got away from the crowds, got in the place where it was just you and Jesus. All right, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. Emotionally healthy, right? This is how I'm feeling right now. Can you help me with this? How do you feel about this? What, you know, look, there's been times when I literally throw stuff. God, why is this happening? I mean, there's, I wanted to throw my fishing pole in the water the other day when I was fishing with Pastor Trine and Brother Rump. I didn't do it. I wanted to. A couple times I almost did. A couple times I almost fell in the water. I can catch nothing but sunnies all day long. Like that big. It's the most frustrating day of fishing ever. Now, they weren't catching much either, but they at least each caught a bass, and they were pretty nice size, and I wasn't catching anything, and I never caught. I was so frustrated. Hey, guess what? Next time I'm going to go out, and I'm going to catch more bass and bigger bass than them, and it's, it's, it's the way it works. There's a balance, I hope, anyway. <laughs> but, but there have been times in the presence of the Lord when I have literally, I've been out by myself at a, at a lake or at a, just on a trail somewhere, that's why I like to hike so much. It's just it's solitude. It's me and God. And I'll pick up a rock and throw it as far as I can and just say, God, I'm so frustrated right now. Right? And I make sure there's nobody around. I'm not hitting, I'm not hitting the squirrels and the deer. And I mean, come on. Can, can I just be real with you? There's times when I, you know, I'd rather throw a rock than punch a tree and break my hand. I'm not going to do something dumb like that, right? So, but, I mean, I get so frustrated sometimes. I'm like, God, this, I'm, I don't. And there's been times I just break down on the trail crying. Yeah, it's okay, guys. Just it's God. And I say, God, I don't understand what's going on. Can you help me with this? I, I don't know what to do. What am I doing? Pouring my soul out to him. Connecting with him. Letting him tell me. Sometimes I feel like a failure. Sometimes I feel like I'll never amount to what he wants me to amount to be and I'm just trying to be real with you. I, I j- and, I, and I take that time and I connect with him and say, okay, God, I need you to tell me again who I am. I need you to tell me again what you see in me. I need you to tell me again what you told me two months ago and, and, and it hasn't happened yet or what you told me three years ago and it still hasn't happened yet. Tell me again. Make sure that I heard from you. God, did I really hear? Anybody ever been there? I mean, come on, somebody. I'm not the only one, right, Pastor? Man, somebody write that down. Spiritual maturity might not be as spiritual as we think it is. <laughs> Relationship. That's what it's about. So it all comes down to the fact that many Christians work very hard on the spirit, but fail to take care of the emotional side of themselves. Some people think it's one and the same, but it's not. So let's think about it like this. Man was created body, soul, and spirit. I don't have time to get into all the scriptures for that, but that's another Bible study really for another day. But the body, now it clearly refers to our physical body. The spirit is clearly the spiritual side of us, especially the fact that we have his spirit and we're supposed to walk in the spirit and we do those spiritual disciplines and we do spiritual things, right? But when we talk about soul, that's where we get confused. What what does that even mean? I mean, what, what I think, and I've studied about it, it really means the soul is considered the seat of the emotions in the Bible. So your soul is the emotional side of us. Think about it. It's right in the middle, by the way, of body and spirit. And that's the way we, 
It's body, soul, and spirit. It's kind of the way things were put together. And, and the reason it's usually said body, soul, and spirit or spirit, soul, and body is, is because it's, it's connected that way. Um, but none of us, I don't think, would argue that it's important for us to work on maintaining a healthy body and a healthy spiritual walk with God. But we need to realize that it's equally important that our emotional health stays intact. Because our emotional health is what connects the body and the spirit. Do you understand that, Sister Ellen? we got to quickly try to get through the rest of this. but And I think, I think I'm, I'm biblical now. I don't have time to do the whole Bible study on body, soul, and spirit. Maybe one of these days we can do that. But that's, there, there's a reason the way it's, it's done that way. So Mark 8, 36. Now, we're going to take a little bit different look at this verse. But for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, we always use this in relation to not losing our salvation on the altar of our possessions and our worldly success and pursuits. And I agree with that. But I believe it has a deeper meaning as well, and, and it relates very well to this lesson. If the soul truly is the emotional side of us, then think about it like this. What shall it profit us if we gain everything else? Ministries, success, big churches, big time singers, money, finances. But we lose the battle on the emotional side of us. I'm preaching general conference. I'm preaching missionaries around the world. I'm preaching with missionaries, and I'm, I'm evangelizing, and I'm going around the world, and thousands of people are in Ethiopia getting the Holy Ghost under my ministry. But if I lose my soul, none of that matters. The Greek word that's translated lose is zemio, and it means to sustain damage or to receive injury, to suffer loss. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean to lose as in you can't find it. It means to suffer damage. And the word soul is from a Greek word that refers to the seed of emotions. We already talked about that. So by lose his own soul, it does not necessarily mean the forfeiture of salvation, although I believe that applies. But rather, it can mean injury or damage to the emotional sides of our lives. And that's a very strong way that the enemy attacks us. Because if he can destroy that then he can do a lot of other damage. So hold on, sister, I'm going to try to get to you, but we're, we're almost past our time. It's just as important for us to be healthy emotionally as it is to be healthy physically and spiritually. Amen? And that's why we're doing this series. I, if we can develop and promote emotional health, along with spiritual health, and, and hopefully you're working physically to be healthy too, I believe that it will cause our spiritual health to increase naturally, though. So... You are going to be challenged, as I said before, and you will be asked to look in the mirror. You will be confronted with some things that you do not like about yourself. Let me just establish that right now. And I'm not telling you that to keep you from coming. I want you to keep coming. I just want you to know what's coming. I don't want you to get blindsided. But we, I need you to understand that. But if you will accept the challenge and commit to make any necessary changes, you will find that you will grow exponentially in all facets of your life. Amen? But we've got to understand, this is a journey. 
as I mentioned at the very beginning, it's not an overnight fix or an instantaneous miracle. But it is miraculous what God will do. So be patient. Be courageous. We are all in this journey together. I want you to remember that we are in this journey together. And there is no group of people on this earth with whom I'd rather take this journey than with you. I believe God put us together for a reason. And we're on this journey together, and I believe if we'll take it courageously and help each other along the way, that we're going to see some exponential growth in our spiritual lives. And guess what? That's going to result in growth in this church. I believe it's going to result in financial growth and numerical growth and all kinds of other growth that's going to happen. And and it's going to be a result of us taking this lesson and doing what God wants to do through this series of lessons with us. Amen? I'm sorry, Sister Ellen, did you want to add that comment since we have very quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Pastor, did you have any other thoughts before we leave? 